Hello, you found us again on Boomerangst. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And I just wanted to let you know that you can still reach us at Ruth, with an E, at boomerangstpodcast.com should you have any questions or thoughts to share with us. Today we're going to talk about Judy, the film about Judy Garland, which we just saw last night. Clang, clang, clang. <laughs> and um, also, you're going to talk about Succession. Succession, my new binge show. And we're going to discuss the LGBTQ cases in front of the Supreme Court right now. Right. So, Judy, Judy, Judy. I found it much more entertaining as a film than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I had heard that she was fantastic. Renee but that the film, Yes. Yeah. That the film was mediocre. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that. I thought it was entertaining all the way through. I think except so, for the LG, too. Except for the Louis B. Mayer parts, which were over the top. Oh, the childhood flashbacks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what was cool about the childhood flashbacks was that whenever he was talking to her, most of the time, they were on the set of Wizard of Oz. So you That's got to true. see... Yeah. And they were always in the set uh, that showed her house it's still in Kansas. The Kansas house. But outside the window, you saw Oz yeah. and the Yellow Brick Road. So I mean, that was fun. Yeah, I didn't expect to love it. And I don't know if I totally loved it. There was nothing that surprising about it. Oh, yeah. It was pretty much what I expected. As sad as her story is, I thought it treated her as less a tragic figure than I expected it to. Huh. I didn't go deep into the drug addiction and some of the, what had to be some of the uglier scenes that had to have unfolded. Yeah. It was pretty respectful and that was fine with me. I just expected it to be a little more of a deep dive, but I was okay with what it was. It definitely cast a, a light on the emptiness and sadness in her personal life yes. juxtaposed against her charisma on stage and her seeming to be one of those people who only lives really fully when they are in a on performance stage. situation. Yes, that's true. Even though she had a couple of breakdowns in the movie. Right. On stage. On stage. Yeah. Those were the moments where her personal life was such a wreck that Mm -hmm. her stage life couldn't fulfill her. I imagine, too, with a film like that, there's so many stages in her life, ups and downs. And I I was mentioning to you last night, she had that whole television show. She had her own series of Judy Garland show. They they didn't touch on that. And I was curious about that because this portrayal of her really focuses on her financial, pretty much destitution. And that's why she had to go to London and perform at the Talk of the Town. And I just can't figure out how she could have lost all that money that must have come her way in the television series. Is it possible the series was after the London? Well, I can't. I don't think so because it said that she there was a right, that slide at the months. end that she died six months later. Yeah. So it had to come before. But it's okay. I was just wondering about it during the movie. But you know what? With lawyers and all of that that she probably had to have for divorces and custody and fights custody and all of battles. those things. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could blow through yeah. tons of money pretty yeah, rapidly. Sure. I had very mixed feelings about her performance. I was again and again reminded of how much she looked. They made her look like Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was remarkable. Although I was thinking if they can make Renee Zellweger look like Judy Garland, they could probably make anybody look like Judy Garland because Renee Zellweger looks not at all like her. Well, but you're forgetting that nobody knows what Renee Zellweger looks like these days. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> 
very Nobody true. really knows. But she does because... have blue eyes and they gave her brown contacts. Oh, yes. that's right. She had those beautiful brown eyes. Yeah. And my experience was the top half of her face mm-hmm. and her head, because mm-hmm. of her hair, were identical to Judy Garland. But whenever she was talking, because she does that funny thing with her mouth. She smushes up her mouth. And her voice is kind of adenoidal. Yeah. It was sort of a melding of the two. I didn't get the whole Judy Garland experience experience yeah. or frisson from mm-hmm. her. I got an amalgam of the two. And someone I was listening to said that Renee Zellweger has had this absent sev- several years right. from performing. She's just recently come back. She's just waiting for the scars to clear up. <laughs> I only say that because I'm jealous. <laughs> well, one of the things, not to digress, but let's. One of the <laughs> things I, I was thinking to myself, well, she looks like someone who has had a facelift, with, which Judy Garland certainly had in her time. I mean, I, I would assume she... I, assume that she did but I thought to myself they've managed to make Renee Zellweger look like someone who's had a facelift but then I realized that Renee Zellweger herself may have had a facelift she is someone who's had a facelift (laughs) yeah I wonder if Judy Garland had one because she died at 47 that's true so that's very true 47 so young it really is so young did she overdose do we know? Yes. Like we she, don't know if she did it as an act of suicide or not. But it was But, but it was related. due to overdose, I oh, believe. Yeah. Oh, it was. Okay. Because yeah. something else that I heard was that she often threatened suicide with her children. Oh, really? Because she was so oh, unstable awful. at times. Oh, yeah. Boy. And certainly there was a through line of her not being such a good parent. Right. She thought she was a good parent, but right. in reality, yeah. the things that she did of dragging her children. Yeah. And I think she, and I think that as they portrayed her last night, or as they portray her in the movie, she argues that she's a good parent, but you almost get that she knows that she has not been to these kids what she would have liked to have been. Would like to have been. She's, well, she's the... confident in how much she loves them. Exactly. Which is a big deal, obviously. And that they love her. Important. Yeah, they focus on the relationship with her two, the two kids she had with Sid Love. I guess Lorna's already. I mean, Liza's already flown the coop by this point. But she was in the movie, wasn't that her? She said she was doing a show. When they was that her? Party. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell either. But I figured that it had to be. Who else would it have been? She called her mom. She did call her mom. Yeah. Okay, so that's who it was. Now that part uh, got a little distracted. I thought it seems like Liza Minnelli, but they're not really calling her Liza. They did call her Liza, and she seemed so much older than Lorna, and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. there was that big an age difference. And she never took drugs. So so it just didn't add up. Well, Liza wasn't in it very much. (laughs) She was only in it for a scene. That's true. Okay, yeah, I guess that was Liza. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about the performance of Zellweger. I thought it was courageous because she played Judy Garland. There obviously the F, there was an effort to visually kind of reconstruct her, and I think even in the way she used her eyes, it was more than the brown contacts. There's a piercing kind of look that Garland mm-hmm. would do mm-hmm. in performance and elsewhere. You can watch her on Jack Parr on YouTube or something. Okay, and I thought she captured that. And yeah, she did overdo a little bit the little muggy thing with pursing her lip. That's just her her mannerism. That's but just it, in a way talks. it's. It fit with Judy Garland, but it was just too repetitive, maybe. It just was so... I so associate that with Renee Zellweger herself and her acting. Yeah. That it just removed me from being... Got it, got it. I took it as a happy coincidence. Like, you know, that's her shtick, but it worked for the Judy Garland impression. But she didn't go full on Judy impression, especially when she sang. She really used her own voice. 
she used her voice as best she could to capture something of the magic. Yeah, the dramatic presence of Garland when she sang, but she didn't resort to trying to sound like her, really. And you know what? In a way, that was one of my big disappointments in the movie because the deal with Judy Garland was she had this amazing voice well, that could true. do things that other people could not do. That's true. And even at the end, she had this amazing voice. And Zellweger's performing yeah. of the songs was, I think, in keeping with yes. what Judy Garland would have done. Oh, she yeah. certainly brought that across very well. Yeah. But the tone that Judy Garland's voice had, and I was talking last night about the, the sort of wavering vibrato that uh -huh. she had that was so identifiable with her at the end. Yeah. And how, in a strange way, her voice was much more fragile at the end mm -hmm. than it was when she was younger. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, it kept bringing me out of it because I kept thinking, well, Judy would have hit the high notes higher, or she mm -hmm. would have been stronger on mm -hmm. some of these other parts of the songs. Yeah. But, but her performance of them was very dynamic. Yes. And I mean, technically, her singing, I thought, was... It wasn't a Garland impression, but it was impeccable right. Renee Zellweger singing. Yes. I mean, in terms of the phrasing and the... There was a lot of technical attention paid to getting those songs right at the same time not trying to do a direct yes. impression. And yes. I, I thought that was great. But I, I have to say, I enjoyed the Judy movie a lot. More I than too. I expected to. I think it's kind of a small movie. It's it's well, not earth-shaking. one little time in her life. Right. So, you know, it's more art house. And we saw it in a tiny theater, which yes. kind of it kind of worked it in a way. It really did work for it. Yeah. It was strange. Yeah. It, we were not sitting on couches like we were last we time. We were not couches. We weren't in the Cinerama Dome. No. We were in a tiny little theater. A theater with a tiny little screen. <laughs> but that, it's a little screen. <laughs> but that, it really did sort of work. The almost slightly sordid affect of the theater that we were in kind of worked for the talk of the town. Yeah. Also, you know, we last week we talked about Downton Abbey and I really can say I walked out of this movie feeling a lot more like I'd seen something. Yes. Than too. I did coming out of Downton yes. Abbey. Downton Abbey, I felt that nothing had moved. Two hours closer to the grave was <laughs> <laughs> my feeling about Downton Abbey. But with Judy, I felt like I was, I, even during it, I thought, well, this is entertaining. Yeah. And I have to say a word about Finn Whitrock, the waspiest name possible. He played Mickey, her last oh, husband. Oh, young Mi Mickey Deans. Mickey Deans, yes. Yeah. And I really like him as a presence. I think he's a star. Mm -hmm. He's very handsome. Yeah. He's kind of in the Brad Pitt mold. Yeah. Although I find him more emotionally accessible than I mm -hmm. find Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. I thought he was very persuasive as yep. someone who loved her, but felt he needed to augment her or in some way help her career along to not disappoint her mm -hmm. to keep this thing afloat for her mm -hmm. that was so important to her because mm -hmm. it, it wrapped around about her kids and getting them back right so even though he does things that at times you think well is he using her because she's so famous that he can make money too but it's also very important to her that he become her yeah quasi-manager. Yeah, I never picked up. I thought it was just poor judgment on her part. As much as she liked him and they liked each other, for her to push marriage, if that's what she did, that's how the movie presented it. Right. But I never felt that his character was out for himself. No, I didn't yeah. have that impression. Yeah. What about Sid Luft? I mean, do you know anything about their relationship? I don't know that much. Okay, because he seemed to be an invested father. Yes, he seemed to be present and I don't and know he wasn't the one of the gay around ones. there. 
No, he wasn't one of the gay ones. <laughs> I think one reason to see this movie, if you like Judy Garland at all, I thought that the last musical number of her singing, I'm Gonna Love You Like Nobody's Loved You, I thought Renee Zellweger did an amazing job. And they yeah. did one quick little close-up on her feet as she's doing this little step across the stage. No, but they captured her choreography, her little catch steps and things that she did that were okay. sort of trademark in her later years as a, as a solo performer like that. And huh. I, I just thought they, they did a great job with that last number. It was almost worth the whole movie, if, even if you didn't care for the, yeah. the lead up yeah. to it. Yeah, I have to, to say, see. that was that really sold me. Yeah, That yeah. was a, a high point of the movie, definitely. Right, right. Well, I think we've done Judy. Like, thumbs up? Yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> I Go. <laughs> oh, it's worth seeing it, and she may she may win the Academy Award for it. Oh, I mean, certainly, it's got all of the earmarks of an Oscar-winning performance. Yeah. She's playing a dead celebrity. Hey, if the Freddie Mercury guy could win it last year, and that movie was terrible. Is it? It's on HBO. I'm tempted to watch it. The other thing that I couldn't watch for more than twenty minutes, which right. is Succession. Succession. I just started it on HBO. I don't know if it originated on HBO. I guess it did. It's one of their productions. Indeed. Yeah. Well, you had told me that it's dark and and it is. And so it's the story of a corporate mogul in New York. And a la Rupert Murdoch. Sort of Rupert murdoch although he's into theme parks and other things. So oh, that's just to beyond. get you off the track. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm new into the show, so I haven't, haven't had all the reveals yet to learn what's, what's what. But I just, I like it right away. I see. I like the dark. Darkness. I like the. I could see how you one could and you could find it maybe too close to home in terms of people you've known that come yeah. from those families with lots of money and and the yes. squabbling and yes. all of that. Very it could true. be. It could be just too close to home. Maybe I just. Why do I like it so far? I'm only two episodes in. Um, Is it funny? Because I was kept hearing that it was a comedy. Well, there's. What, the humor I'm finding in it is that these three adult children of his, Shiv, Ken, and Roman, there's a couple of other kids too, but nobody pays attention to them <laughs> um, so far. It could all change. I don't know. But what I like about them is they're savvy, they're smart, they're New Yorkers, they're streetwise, they're wise, all of that. They know about finance. They know about contracts. They're squabbling about who's going to do what when this guy dies and all of that. But at the same time, in an instant, they'll just revert to, fuck you, you know, to like, brother and sister stuff. Childish yeah. behavior. Yeah. You're a dick or whatever it is. It seems very real and very yeah. natural. Yeah. So you, you see the childhood dynamic in these apparently savvy, although very disturbed adult children of his. Well, the thing that really turned me off to it was just how cruel the father figure was. Well, you might have gone deeper into it than I did. Oh, no. I was only into it 20 minutes in the first oh, okay. episode. Because where you he, didn't see him have his stroke? I did see him have his stroke, but I saw him promise, is it the, the youngest son? Mm-hmm. He promises him some piece of the well, action and Ken, then reneges on it. Yeah, Ken is supposed to be the heir apparent, but he writes him out. And he gives a leading place to um, the woman who he lives with. Which I'm not sure at this point if it's his secretary or just his girlfriend or his his lover. It's not his wife? It doesn't seem to. Maybe, maybe they're married. Okay. I don't really. I can't tell. I can't tell what she is except that she's in tight with him. And is she angling? She's not, she's not a blood relative. She's not angling at least so far, more might be revealed. But from what's been revealed so far, it's not so much she's angling as that for whatever reason, daddy wants her cut into the deal. Okay. And the kids are just outraged because they've grown up with this expectation. And I'm sure he's probably lorded it over them their whole lives. When I go, you're going to be sitting pretty because I've done all of this. Anyway, but I don't know. I like the acting. I like the dialogue. It seems real and natural. And I love especially the 
daughter, and I think the actress's name is Sarah Sooks or Sooks. I'm really taken by her. I just I just find her kind of captivating. I have a I have a straight crush on her. And a straight crush. Yeah, it's weird. I have a girl crush on her. Oh, I'm looking for yes, okay. I'm looking for her Sarah Snook. 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 Okay. Like baby Snooks. Yeah. Yeah, what is fun a funny name? She's British. They, they did an interview with her after the episode and she reveals her her true voice. Kendall. Kendall is that Yeah. Is that That's do they call him Ken? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. They call Roman Rome and they call her name is oh. Shaban, I think. But they, they, they call, call her Shiv. Shiv. Such a great name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's dark and it's ominous and it's about families hating each other so why should that be fun to watch but there's something about the dynamics between them that is captivating and huh. compelling I think well you like dark dramas I do yes yeah, the first non-Nordic drama series that I've really taken yeah. to yeah and I am not drawn to those things yeah it's interesting yeah I like the, like the deep psychology stuff yeah and I'm very superficial yes so there there I you have it thought so rude <laughs> You know, I, I, Michael Clayton is a very dark movie, but yeah. it has, it has hope in it. Right. And that's, I guess, what I didn't see in Succession. I didn't see the hope for the brighter future. It right. was really... Chernobyl's dark and you like that. That's true, but it had a, a noble central character. Oh, okay. And Fleabag is... Yeah. <laughs> everybody's a mess in Fleabag, so... Yeah. <laughs> you have your, your... But she's, she's also a very hopeful character. Right, right. In her way. I mean, I wonder if I'm just, I wonder if partly I just like to see wealthy people being so totally miserable. It makes, brings me some joy. And I think that's what a lot of people enjoy about that it. That might be it. Yeah. That, or the part of, but I think it goes deeper. I think, I don't think that alone could carry this show. I think there may be, that may be a factor in some of the popularity, but I think the acting's incredible. And, and um, the writing must the, be good. The writing's good and it's not overdone. You don't think about the writing okay. when you're watching it, which is so amazing. Yeah. You know, I heard someone way back in my theater days say, you know, if you go to a music and you're noticing how great the lighting is, that's crappy lighting. <laughs> you're not you're supposed to be totally unaware of for it if it really works. And you're not well. supposed to come out humming the sets. Humming the sets. And yeah, in this movie, I mean in this series, you don't sense the presence of a writer. The characters really come alive, I think. You're almost selling me on watching it again. But Try I just, it just for the acting. Okay. But but okay. if yeah, well, it's a free country. Yeah. If it's, it's not up your alley, it's not up your alley. It's that nest of vipers kind oh, of thing yeah. that and maybe you're right, maybe I was just too close to a family with money to yeah. really see it separately from that. Yeah. But I don't know. I will think about it. Shall we go on to the court, the Supreme? Oh, sure. So what I know about the Supreme Court LGBTQ cases is there are two gay men and one transgender woman. I know that one of the gay men, and I don't know what states they live in. So obviously not California or New York. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is, as a side note, you can get married to your same-sex partner and go to work and find that you've been fired for being gay in some states. So the way one man was found out was that he joined a gay baseball team. The second gay man, I don't know what that story was. The transgender woman informed her employer, which was, I believe she worked for a funeral home. Yes, she I was, heard that. She was going to dress as her self-identified <laughs> right, gender. Right. And the question has come up then, it's Title Seven, and that's the Civil Rights Act, Title right, Seven, right. that one cannot discriminate 
debate on the basis of age, sex. race, age, race, and sex, and what does sex mean? Right. So that much I know. I know that there was a great discussion about bathrooms between mm-hmm. the Supreme Court judges when it came up to the lawyers arguing right. the case. Right. And that one thing that I you read, mean when this case came up? Yes, when this Just case. Now. Yes. Okay. I think it was on Tuesday. Right. Okay. That it was argued. Right. And what I just read was the misfortune of not having an LGBTQ judge on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Now we have an African American, we have right. a Latina, we have right. women, right. and yet we don't have anyone representing 1% of the population. That's right. And that's why Liza has never married a Supreme Court <laughs> justice. <laughs> If only. Um, so you said that you had some... I had changing opinions about this. Because uh-huh. it was first presented to me, the first thing I heard was, well, the Title Seven, as written mentions sex. Doesn't mention sexual orientation or even gender expression. Exactly. So I, what I heard someone say was, well, the decision is going to be if Title Seven includes those things that were not envisioned when it was written. That's right. Which a, an original constructionist point of view would be. Or if it's a more malleable, changeable definition of sex compared to what had originally been written. Right. And they said that, you know, if it if it's decided against, then it will be up to Congress to pass a law that includes sexual orientation. And my thought was, well, you know what, that's going to come. Although the way things are now, you never know what's going to happen ever. I remember talking about it with you last time, and I remember thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. If they, if they want to narrowly describe, narrowly define what sex means to just mean MF gender, binary gender, and they want to hold to the worldview that was in place when Title VII was written, which I guess was in the 70s. Uh, 60s, I think. Was it 60s? Yeah, I think you're right. So it's Congress will pass a law that includes sexual orientation and gender expression. But then I heard someone else explain it in a different way that changed my mind. And that is that in terms of sexual orientation, you could argue that sexual orientation is included under the term sex because a man, for example... Yes, this is Elena Kagan's argument. Yeah, a man who wants to marry another man... Or loves another man. Or loves another man and cannot work if he does that, he's being discriminated against purely on on his male biological gender. That's right. Because if he were a woman Woman. doing the very same thing, so it does come down to equal rights. Yes. And it does come down to sex. I haven't thought it through in terms of gender expression. That's such a relatively new thing. I imagine that Kagan or many other smart lawyers could demonstrate in a convincing way that that too falls under the term. Yes. So it'll just be interesting to see if the moral dinosaurs from a different age that live on that court now are open-minded at all. And I wouldn't trust them well, to, to dupe to be that. What I heard was that Gorsuch, of all people, was the one who seemed to have the most penetrating questions about what this idea of sex is. Mm-hmm. I'm curious that two gay men and a transgender woman were all taken as the same case, mm-hmm. the same adjudication. I'm just very curious about that because it seems to me that it's different, that there is a difference between a man loving another man mm-hmm. versus a woman loving a man and a woman, person who identified as one gender, changing to another gender. That mm-hmm. seems like it would be, I mean, it's all based around Title Seven. 
it. Right, but maybe it's the same, more as we talk about it, maybe the argument in the case of gender expression would be if I want to, to present as a female and you're saying I can't because biologically I'm a male, you're discriminating against me on the basis of my biological gender. gender. Yes, that's true. I mean, one way to look at it seems to be a very simple, straightforward expression. It does. That would almost speak to the idea that they have a sophisticated way of viewing this. Right. Which we'll see if no, they do. No, they come from these weird, messed up religious backgrounds, Gorsuch and his ilk. So I don't trust them at all. There are it's going to be an interesting year because we'll learn a lot about, I think, where we're headed. Yeah. I was listening to this Slate Political podcast, and they were talking about the idea that certain things are adjudicated by the courts. Mm-hmm. They're decisions that are made in the courts. And other things are generated through Congress. Congress is supposed to pass laws. And in a sense, Congress has stopped passing laws because there's no ability for the two sides to work together. No consensus. Yes, there's no consensus. So Congress is at an impasse, basically. So I don't know enough about both entities to know. I mean, I know that they're co-equal parts of the... Yeah, I don't... The Supreme Court can't pass a law. It can just interpret a law in a certain way. You know, it can just say, here's what the law says, and here's what that means, and here's how it is to be. But because that's what a lot of conservatives will argue, in, like in this case, is it's... They'll say, if they vote against it... They'll say they're activists. They'll say, we're not against gay rights. We're just saying that the law as written did not address gay rights, and therefore it's up to Congress to do its job I see. and write, rewrite the law or write a new law that explicitly includes sexual orientation, gender expression, all of those other things. Okay. And that's a great cover for prejudice, I think, because you can just say, oh, I'm being a strict constructionist, but the truth is you come from certain religious psycho-Christian backgrounds that beat up on people who are different. Well, that's there I mean, I that was it. Scalia <laughs> yeah. was the ultimate and constructionist Constructionist. Yeah. He felt that every single thing that was said in the Constitution... Exactly. And it's not even honest. It's it's dishonest for him to call himself a constructionist and for others to call him that because when Bush comes to shove, he certainly was not a constructionist on Bush v. Gore. He's totally threw the Constitution out the window. That's true. To the point that even in the decision of Bush v. Gore, they wrote into the decision, this is a one-time decision, this is a one-off, this should not be used as precedent for other decisions, which is pretty clear evidence that they yeah. knew they were bucking the Constitution. So I always get so angry angry about this because oh. to call it constitutional a strict constitutionalist is that the term they use yes. something like that yes it's a fig leaf it's their prejudice and they don't want to let go of it of their white straight christian privilege but i've also heard that john roberts is possibly going to be the swing vote in some of these decisions because he doesn't want the court to be seen as a political arm of the trump crime of the, family of the of, i'm trying to <laughs> think of the not of the white house of the executive, but of the executive branch. branch exactly Exactly. So we'll see about that. He has voted with the liberals on a couple of cases, decisions. Well, that's great. If he's our savior, so be it. But even that riles me a little bit because it's like, if he's saying that, then he's saying like, well, I actually believe gay people shouldn't have any rights, but I don't want my court to go down in history as one that was restrictive of human rights. So I'm going to vote against my own instincts and throw you guys a bone. And it's like, well, thanks, John Roberts. I'm grateful for the bone, but I, I don't know. I, it just makes me angry. Well, but if he's going to vote on our side, yay. <laughs> well, on that note, I think that it's time to say goodbye to the boomers and others. Oh, bye boomers. Bye boomers. Bye others. Bye others. <laughs> bye bye. See you next week. So long.